May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So today is Rogation Sunday, the fifth Sunday after Easter. And Rogation, the, the word for Rogation Sunday comes from a Latin word that means prayer or asking. And that's based on our Lord's statement at the beginning of the gospel reading that we just heard from John sixteen twenty three: Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now, sometimes it's easy to forget that in English, the word pray has its root in an older usage that simply means to ask. And if you read your King James Bible, you read Shakespeare, anything that uh, really kind of predates the uh, 18th century, um, that, that use of pray comes up a lot. You know, in my readings this morning, King David said to somebody, um, pray, give me this and that, the other, whatever. And that's a common way we do that, just meaning simply ask. So today begins this mini season of the church year that we call Rogation Tide. And it's a season that only lasts for four days, the period from today, Rogation Sunday, until the Feast of the Ascension, which we begin to celebrate Wednesday night. Now, we will have some uh, stuff going out through the video on the Ascension. I'm actually traveling on Thursday, so we will not have any Ascension services this year that are live, but we will also celebrate it next week in that Sunday uh, during, the, during Ascension Tide. So, um, yeah, that's our mini-season, these four days of solemn supplication, as our prayer book puts it. So they're not quite fast days, but they're days of prayer. They're days of asking. They're days of, of, of solemnity. We often mark this for midweek services during Rogation Tide by vesting everything in purple, in violet, as if it were one of our fast days. And you'll also find special, a special epistle, collect, and gospel for these three days on page 261 of your prayer book. And I would encourage you to use these, um, these readings and these prayers in your devotion for the next three days. So other than special readings, what does this mean? Well, the Rogation days were traditionally a time that marked the beginning of spring, especially with prayers that planting would be fruitful. And then in England, in our mother church, it also became a time to revisit the parish boundaries, which developed into a custom called beating the bounds, where the people would process around the parish boundaries with uh, singing, some, singing the litany, singing some psalms, some other hymns, do various prayers. Um, and sometimes they would actually beat some of the altar boys, which is a terrible concept, but they would, <laughs> which uh, came with that as too in some places. Uh, we do not recommend that custom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's just a bad plan. I, I think Chicho's getting so big these days that he might beat back if we tried that anyway. So <laughs> that's right. So these are some of the things that would happen during, during Rogation Tide. Um, oftentimes, boundary disputes would be resolved and kind of little minors of, of minor issues of, of justice would be resolved. My neighbor did this to me. We need to have make, make restitution. And this is because in England, the, uh, the parish is not just the church property, but it's really that entire geographic area that the church serves. We see a little bit of a, of a um, leftover uh, uh, carryover of this concept in Louisiana where they don't have counties, but they have parishes, right? 
um, because that's the way that in the old country things were done, especially in, 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 in areas where there was this history of church establishment, uh, both, both Roman Catholic as well as English church establishment. So these are very naturally rural and agricultural customs a reminder that our prayer book's tradition is essentially an earthy, incarnational sort of faith. A very earthy religion that's tied to the land, that's tied to ordinary life. The way our prayer book tells us to practice our faith is not to just kind of put ourselves in little ghettos, but rather we bring our faith into regular life because that's where we live, right? Now, even though most of us are urban or suburban here in this parish, I think it can be a good, um, good idea to be reminded from time to time of our connection to the land, our connection to God's creation. So our Old Testament lesson that was assigned for morning prayer today uh, for Rogation Sunday from Ezekiel 34 uh, speaks to this connection to the land. You can find this on page 676 in your prayer book, Ezekiel 34, beginning at verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell surely, securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they may no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord." And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. So through the prophet Ezekiel, God tells the people that he will heal the land and that he will bless the land. In the greater context of the big picture of scripture, this passage is describing the blessings of the world to come. The blessings that will come when God sets everything to rights in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. When Jesus' kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven. So the evil beasts will be banished. The land will be fruitful and safe. God's people will no longer be in danger from their enemies. The Lord will be with his people forever. So this reminds us that Rogation Tide tells us that God is control in control both now and forever. The blessings that we enjoy now, whether they're the blessings of a fruitful spring, this is one of the most beautiful times in this part of Texas, amen? amen. Or, what do they say, this is the two weeks when we uh, don't have extreme heats and, or, or bugs, right? <laughs> so whether it's the, the fruitful spring, those blessings, or whether it's the blessings that we're reminded of during Mother's Day, 
These are now mere tastes of what the Lord promises when our final redemption is fulfilled. Now, in the meantime, though, we look to God with our rogations. We look to God with our prayers. And as the gospel says, we do so in Jesus' name. That is, we pray by Christ's authority and in union with him. Now, this is certainly part of our birthright by virtue of our baptism. In our baptism, we are united to Christ. We die to sin and we are given new life instead, as the scriptures say, as we talk about in the prayer book. Today's epistle reading uh, from James chapter 1 tells us what it looks like then to be dead to sin. So you can find this on page 951 in your pew Bibles, page 176 in the prayer book, James 1.22. James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You may recall that last week's epistle was from the passage in James chapter 1 that immediately precedes today's passage. You may recall last week that St. James said that God begat us by the word of truth. So both today's lesson and last week's lesson point us back to God's word. In both lessons, St. James points us back to the scriptures. So last week, God's word was the cause of our new birth. He he gave us new birth by his word. This week, God's word is a mirror for for our souls. It's a mirror for our souls. The Holy Spirit then speaks through the scriptures, both for our justification and for our sanctification. And we need both of these things if we want to God to be attentive for our prayer, to our prayers. Now, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, we're told that it is impossible to please God without faith. Sometimes otherwise well-meaning preachers and Bible teachers will tell you that this means we need to really, really, really believe what we're asking for. We need to, we need to really, really believe that God's going to give it to us if we're going to get it. They say that faith requires particular feelings or a particular way of speaking our desires into, into existence in Jesus' name with the full belief that they will come true. That's what we're sometimes told. And the corollary, unfortunately, to that teaching is often, if you didn't get it, it's because you didn't have enough faith. That is not the context of Hebrews chapter 11. That is not what the apostle tells us when he says that we need to have faith to please God. Rather, the context of Hebrew 11 is that belief in God, that he is who he says he is, and that he has fulfilled his promises in Jesus Christ, that's what faith is in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll remember that it's the same passage that has this long list of Old Testament saints and tells um, tells the reader how these folks showed their faith, showed their trust in God, and that's why they got to see some of his promises 
even though some of them didn't actually get to see those promises, right? They didn't quite live that long, yet they still had that faith. So in other words, to truly please God, we must first and foremost be a people that is united to Christ by faith, as signified in our baptism. And because of the witness of the Holy Scriptures to our Lord Jesus, we can indeed trust him. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. Look at all these people who are witnesses to Christ. We can indeed have faith. So then when St. James here is telling us that if we expect to be blessed, if we expect our prayers to be fruitful, that faith must be accompanied by obedience to what we hear and read in the scriptures. He goes on to say later on that our faith must be proved by our good works because if we have no good works, if we have no obedience, our faith is vain or maybe even dead. Let's continue on in the epistle. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Our obedience to God and our actions towards our fellow human beings will tell us something about the state of our faith. In Article 12 of our 39 Articles of Religion, our obedience and our good works are compared to the fruit of a healthy tree. A healthy apple bears apples. That's one of the things we remember in our inrogation tide, right? And an apple tree that does not bear apples is either sick or dead. In the same way, a living faith, a lively faith, is marked by good works. It's marked by obedience to God's word. It's marked by walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. And St. Paul tells us, that the fruit of the Spirit, those things that come when we're walking in the Spirit, those apples, so to speak, are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, humility, and self-control. James 5, verses 22 and 23. This is why and how the Scriptures serve as a mirror to our souls. The Scriptures show us what pleases God. God's commandments tell us something about him. It tells us about who he is, what makes him happy. And when we see the perfect law of liberty, as St. James says, we see both what we should do and where we fall short. The reason the scriptures are the perfect law of liberty is that we are truly set free when we submit ourselves to God's word. Now that's that can seem very counterintuitive. After all, how can commandments, how can rules, how can laws be liberating? Aren't they just the opposite? Don't they confine us? Don't they put us into boundaries? Don't they hold us back? And the answer is not if they're perfect. One of the reasons why our prayer book is so penitential in nature and we have these things such as we admit that we are miserable offenders. There is no health in us. That sort of thing is not because we're trying to dig us down and beat us down. 
Rather, it's because we see how beautiful it is to be people that follow the Lord. And therefore, how tragic a thing our sin really is. And how it messes us up. The commandments of God are perfect. They are a reflection of God's nature. They're a reflection of what human nature is supposed to be. Because one of the effects of, the, of sin is the corruption of our nature. That's why we're miserable offenders. Our mortality, our inclination to do evil, that way that we get attracted to wickedness that we talked about last week, that war between our flesh and our spirit, these things are not natural to mankind as God originally made us. Rather, they are the result of our humanity being corrupted by sin. These things are the result of the image of God, that image in which we have been created, becoming marred, becoming tainted by our sin. But God's law shows us what it looks like to be truly human. God's commandments show us how we're supposed to be. Christ's sinlessness was not because he was God. It was because he was perfect man. If sin was part of human nature, if, if, if being sinful is what it means to be human, we couldn't say that Jesus was true man. When we have been given new birth, we are made partakers of our Lord's perfect humanity as well as partakers of his divine nature. Now, of course, we still suffer the effects of sin's corruption on this side of eternity. The new man and the old man are constantly at war. We are going to keep struggling with sin. But nevertheless, we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God on our side fighting for us. And as we practice lives of obedience to God and to His Word, we do indeed increasingly grow into Christ's image by his beckoning, by his power. He molds us to look like him. By his grace, when we look into that mirror, that mirror of our soul that St. James talks about, we begin to see Jesus looking back at us. So in our collect, we prayed, O Lord, from whom all good things do come, Grant to us, thy humble servants, that by thy holy inspiration we may think those things that are good, and by thy merciful guiding may perform the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very appropriate prayer for Rogation Tide. As we see the good things of spring begin to bloom, as by God's grace we see the fruit, not just of the land, but the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of our good works. As we see the Lord answer our prayers, may God's word, breathed by his spirit, continue to transform us into the image and likeness of our Lord. And we say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.